This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. On this week's On the Media Midweek podcast, we're re-airing a piece we ran in September. It's reported by OTM producer Molly Schwartz, who, until the war in Ukraine started, was a fellow on a journalism program in Moscow. The situation on the ground for independent journalism in Russia is dire and getting worse daily. Echo Moskvi and TV Rain went dark last week, and this week some international news outlets announced that they're pulling their journalists out of the country in fear for their safety. The current crackdowns are severe, but silencing dissenting voices isn't a new thing for the Kremlin. In the months leading up to the Duma elections, the Russian government came down hard on news outlets and other organizations. In this story, Molly explains how death by bureaucracy is the Kremlin's M.O. On July 15th, Sonia Grossman lost her job. It wasn't the best day of my life, I can tell you. Groisman is a 27-year-old Russian journalist who used to work at an investigative news outlet called Project. I did a podcast which told the stories of Russian doctors who were on the front lines against coronavirus, which was based on doctors' diaries. And it was the only podcast that conveyed a realistic picture of what was happening in Russia's hospitals. But back in July, the Russian government went after Project, calling it a, quote, undesirable organization and basically banning it from the country. Undesirable organization means that all the projects, all the things we did became illegal. Project was releasing one high-profile, fascinating and impactful investigation after another. This is Joshua Yaffa, Moscow correspondent for The New Yorker. It specialized in the kind of brave, unflinching, hard-hitting investigations that were hard to find and weren't being done by outlets based in Russia. In Russia, there are certain people, like Putin's allies, who you can't touch. But Project went there. Russia's interior minister, people from the so-called Siloviki, the very powerful top officials from the country's security services, they even wrote an investigation that appeared to suggest Putin might have a 17-year-old daughter from an extramarital affair, and both this young woman and her mother seem to benefit financially from certain ties to Kremlin-linked institutions and banks. This is the kind of reporting that got the outlet shut down, putting Sonia Groisman out of a job. With her new free time, she took a trip to Sochi, a vacation town in the south of Russia. Just to think, what's next? What should I do now? On July 23rd, she was sitting on the coast of the Black Sea, just watching the waves. This day was stormy, it was rainy, and I just was looking at the waves and thought, it's like my life, you know? But then her reverie was cut short when her phone started buzzing like crazy. 
20 messages in a minute. I started getting. She opened one and clicked the link. And uh, the link to this list where my surname was 31 on this list. Sonia Groisman's name had been added to the Ministry of Justice's list of foreign agents. I realized that my life is going to change right now. Since 2012, the Russian government has used this foreign agent label to shut down organizations it sees as antagonistic. The wave of police raids against non-governmental organizations, foreign cultural organizations and human rights groups continues in Russia. With the latest targets, the Helsinki Group and Memorial, Russia's oldest human rights organization. We are seeing a downright hunt for human rights groups. They want to force us to declare that we are foreign agents. They are hunting us down. They went after Transparency International, the MacArthur Foundation, the election monitoring group Golos. This foreign agent legislation was continually expanded by the Kremlin to cover more and more groups and more and more segments of society. But in 2017, the law was expanded to specifically target the media. And in the last few months, they've been on a kind of spree. So this all began in April, first with the targeting of Medusa, an online publication that had been founded by journalists who had found themselves homeless during previous waves of media crackdown. A media startup called V Times was named a foreign agent. Then the trickle became a stream and then a river. Then came Project. Then came an outlet called The Insider, which specializes in data-driven investigations and often cooperates with Bellingcat. After that, we saw TV Rain, a television channel, which was the largest media outlet named to the foreign agent registry. One of the most surprising things that happened in this time, the authorities started adding the names of individual journalists to the list. That's what happened to Sonia Groisman. To become a foreign agent in Russia, you have to publish something on social media or in a media publications and receive a financial transfer from abroad. That's all. Even if your, I don't know, American grandma will send you $20 and you post something on social media, yes, you are a potential foreign agent. The Russian foreign agent law was specifically designed to uh, destroy you, drive you out of business. Alexei Kovalyov is an investigations editor at the news outlet Medusa. Brooke spoke to him when Medusa was first targeted. But not in one fell swoop, like the government raids your offices and confiscates your electronics and arrests the journalists. No, it's not like that. It's the bureaucratic hoops you're forced to jump through, says Kovalyov, that can be fatal for a news outlet. We have to put a massive, ugly legal disclaimer on top of everything we publish. And that includes all ads and promotional materials. The disclaimer reads like a big scarlet letter of legalese. It says, quote, This news media slash material was created and or disseminated by a foreign mass media performing the functions of a foreign agent and or a Russian legal entity performing the functions of a foreign agent. The same rules apply to Sonia Groisman. Even if I post, I don't know, flowers or my cat, I have to put this disclaimer. I checked out Groisman's social media, and that block of text, all caps, is in every post, every Instagram story, every comment, every response to a friend's comment. Every time I post something, I feel that I'm taking a risk. She'll be fined if she doesn't comply. First, 10,000 rubles, which is around 140 US dollars, 
than 50,000 rubles, which is around $685. And uh, on the third time, there is the prospect of a criminal case, up to two years of prison. Just six months ago, Russian journalists would jump from news outlet to news outlet as some were shut down and others started up. But now, even that option is disappearing. They could become, you know, professional breakdance buskers who work in the Moscow metro, or they could go, you know, gather mushrooms in the Siberian taiga forest, and they'd still be foreign agents, right? They, they sort of carry that designation with them. Last month, Sonia Groisman went to a protest with a small group of journalists outside the headquarters of the FSB. That's like Russia's main security agency. They took turns holding signs, rotating one by one. It is prohibited to protest in front of FSB building, but one person protests are not prohibited. When it was Groisman's turn to picket, she took the opportunity to perform some political theater. I just came there with the sign on which uh, I had written nothing more than the full text of this 24-word disclaimer. The disclaimer. You know, the chunk of legalese I just read you a moment ago. And she was only there holding that sign for a few minutes before she was approached by men in uniform. What happens next is all captured on tape by Groisman. They grab her, take her to a police station, and sit her down in a large assembly room. A portrait of Putin hangs on the wall. An officer starts to copy down the text on Grossman's sign to include in her arrest papers. The police officer complains that the text on her poster is too long and the language so burdensome. He asks Grisman if it would be okay if he just takes a picture of it with his phone instead of having to write it all out. Grisman tells him that she's required to put it in front of anything she publishes. And I was like, that's the law. <laughs> and you're a policeman, you know. It would be great if you read it. The entire exchange is documented in a podcast that Grisman started with her former colleague, Olga Churakova, whose name was also added to the foreign agent list in July. We started recording a podcast called Privet, you know, again, which means in English, hi, you are a foreign agent, about what life is like for us in this new reality. In the second episode of the podcast, which, like every episode, starts with the disclaimer, there's a scene in which Churakova tries to get a job at a fast food chain that makes blini the delicious Russian pancakes, Churukova calls and asks if they have any open positions. The woman on the phone says yes. They're looking for cooks and cashiers. Churukova asks if it's possible to get a job as a cook without any prior experience. Yes, it's possible. Churakova then explains that she's a journalist. And she's been designated as a foreign agent. The woman on the phone says she's never heard of this before. But asked Churakova to write to her supervisors and explain the situation. Churakova does not get the job. It is like the sign that you are holding on which there is a text, don't work with him and don't talk to him. Tihan Tsiatko is the editor-in-chief of TV Rain, or Dozhd in Russian. 
He told me about how it's the stigma of this foreign agent label that's been so painful for him. For example, when you were designated as foreign agent, almost 100% that people from the government would deny talking to you. These uh, 24 words, it's not the worst part, but it's the stupidest part. The worst part, he says, is the idea that they're traitors to their country. We think of ourselves as patriots, and everything what we're doing here at this TV station, over 11 years of uh, its existence, we are doing for the best of our country. We just want our country to be better. I want my kids to live in a better place than the place where, where I grew up. Fritziadko, because he's Russian and he works for a Russian organization, and above all, he does this journalism because he really cares about Russia. That's what's made this foreign agent label so weird and confusing. But they'd been anticipating some kind of pressure from the government because of what they were broadcasting last winter. If we want to isolate the most recent catalyst in this long story of increasing pressure and, and repression... Joshua Yaffa... It would be fair to talk about the poisoning and then return of Alexei Navalny. Alexei Navalny, the leader of the opposition and official thorn in Putin's side. He was poisoned in August 2020, taken to Germany for medical treatment. Then he returned to Russia and was immediately arrested, which led to protests. Not just in Moscow, but in dozens, if not a hundred cities around Russia. I think the Kremlin was certainly spooked. Tikhan Ziatko said 10 million people watched their coverage on YouTube. And this is, I think, one of the most important parts of this whole story. Putin claims that Russia's foreign agent law was actually inspired by a law in the U.S., the Foreign Agents Registration Act of 1938, which put a label on outlets like Russia Today, media that our Department of Justice considers foreign propaganda. But Joshua Yaffa of The New Yorker isn't buying it. I think it's a ridiculous and absurd comparison. As far as I understand, the FARA registration essentially ends there. In other words, you're added to the registry. You're not required to add some cumbersome disclaimer to everything you publish. Being a journalist in Russia is kind of like a dance. Perhaps the tropok, the classic Slavic folk jig that you might know from the Nutcracker. The dancers do these complicated whirls and squats and kicks as the music speeds up to a frenetic pace, leaving all parties panting for breath as the curtain falls. Russian journalists, too, are jumping and twirling, quick on their feet, just trying to stay a few steps ahead of the Kremlin and still perform the essential parts of their job. And despite what you might think, they are doing their jobs. Independent journalism in Russia is perpetually under threat and under pressure, but it's not completely gone. And, and I think that oftentimes in the American conversation, we don't acknowledge the fact that there are these journalists who are still managing, despite all the difficulties thrown at them, do work that is extraordinary and worthy of our admiration. We can still report things and we can earn money. We can be in the profession. For Groisman's relatives who grew up in the Soviet Union, however, the fear is a little more ingrained. My grand parents think that I have to stop it, you know, just to be silent. Someone on the top will forgive you and then exclude you from this list. But we have YouTube, we have Instagram, we have Telegram. We can distribute the information all the ways. Yes, it would be harder and harder to work as a journalist. 
but all the people cannot be silent. The tempo is gradually increasing, but for now, the dance goes on. For On The Media, I'm Molly Schwartz. Six months later, it seems as if the dance has, for now at least, been halted. Join us later this week when we'll be taking a closer look at what's happening to the Russian media. Till then, I'm Brooke Gladstone. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.